But we are all blessed to be able to, to be here after yesterday. Um, I don't. I think uh, I may have heard of, of one of our members that had some damage in, in our in their yards. Um, but we were just blessed. Uh, the, anyone that was watching the news, um, you know, just to, to know the the pathway of destruction, the tornadoes that were literally surrounding uh, our general area. Um, you know, it's, it's always. Um, it's good to be reminded about the power of the Lord, power of God. Um, sometimes we wish it wasn't so um, personal uh, when it happens, but to to understand uh, that edifices and buildings that you know, there's, I don't know if you saw the the scene from uh, on top of the uh, RBC Plaza on top of the uh, the big building there uh, of, of the tornado coming toward downtown uh, and. You know, it just when you see this huge cloud coming, uh, it's it's understood. It doesn't really matter what building you're on anymore. Uh, that it all pales in comparison to this cloud that's coming your way. And, and when you see uh, roofs flattened and trees that have been here for decades removed and thrown uh, cars, uh, thrown like matchbox cars, it, it just it. It's astounding, once again, the power of God. And, and can you imagine if I called you up and said, hey, let's go, uh, let's go sailboating on Falls Lake, um, Saturday and hearing the weather report and say, hey, you know what? That's good. We got wind. Let's go. Uh, you know, everybody understands that's absurd. You don't do such silly, stupid stuff unless you're the pastor. You don't do things like that. You know, I've, I've been known to do, uh, uh, not so bright things. And uh, why? Well, we have no boat, we have no cell that can harness that type of wind. We just, we're not able to do that. It, it will capsize the boat. It, it will end badly uh, because we don't have that type of equipment for that type of wind. Well, what I would present to you is that the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of grace takes the winds of judgment, the winds of God's power that would be destructive in any normal case, would destroy us upon an instant that the gospel takes that power of God and harnesses it so that instead of destroying us, that same power now recreates us. That's an amazing thing. It is miraculous, it's as miraculous as taking a sailboat and, and surviving a tornado. Uh, and, and that's what you've got uh, with the gospel of grace. And uh, I want us to understand that a little bit more. And, and so we're going to take Galatians chapter 3. We got as far as verse 28. And um, I'm going to take verse 29. <laughs> and I'm not going to go to chapter 4, because then that would mess up all these business cards. And, you know, don't want to do that. So uh, I'm going to take verse 29, and I'm going to bring some other scriptures to bear uh, so we can save chapter 4 uh, for next Sunday. And uh, we're going to just take this nugget, and uh, we're going to see how God works using the gospel of grace even to change stones. And so let's, uh, I think perhaps to get the, the message of this, let's start with verse 25 and, and go to verse 29. And in honor of this being God's word, Let's stand as we read this together. Galatians 3, verse 25 through 29. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. 
For as many of you as were baptized into Christ Jesus have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Thus, the power of God to override the uh, barriers we put up. Verse 29. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. You may be seated. I want to take that phrase that you are Abraham's offspring and, and probably just expound on that a little bit and, and help you understand that when folks of that day and time used the phrase Abraham's offspring, it usually was kind of a, a code for salvation. To say that you are sons of Abraham was to say and equate that you are part of God's kingdom, which is to equate that you are saved. All right. So when he uses that terminology, you're Abraham's offspring, it, it would have helped them understand we're part of the kingdom. We're part of the kingdom of God. Now, you remember the struggle uh, of that context was that these were Gentile believers and involved in the church of God. They've been saved by by grace through faith. They've had the Spirit of God enter in their life. Again, by grace through faith. But then there were folks who were coming from Jerusalem, learned men, people in the uh, knowledgeable in the Scriptures, and they were teaching that that's a great way to start, but now you need to complete the process by becoming a Jew. You need to go through the, the rituals. You need to be circumcised. You need to go and, and uh, obey the, the dietary laws. And, and we're adding to this so that the Gentiles really didn't know what to do. And actually a barrier was coming into place, so much so that when these folks come from, from Jerusalem, that Peter and even Barnabas refused to sit next to the Gentiles and start eating with the Jews. And there's this separation, a literal separation that takes place in the church of God. And so it becomes evident uh, that either Christ is everything or Christ is nothing. And so Paul, seeing these things, confronts Peter in his face before all and then also uh, writes a letter and explaining the role of the grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ and how it works with the law and it saves separate from the law. And so that's that's the context. And the point that he's saying now is that because of this, you are like Abraham's son. In fact, you are Abraham's son. You remember how this goes back to Genesis 12 and God giving the promise to Genesis 12 of the seed of Abraham that all these promises would come and that, that through the seed of Abraham would be the blessing to all the nations. And so... Paul's point, his argument, is that if you're in Christ, who is the seed of Abraham, if you're in Christ by faith, then consequently you are also in Abraham's offspring, which means in consequent that you are also heir to all of the promises of God. And he brings out in Genesis 3 that one of the biggest and the best uh, blessings to all the nations is that the Spirit of God comes into your life. So, here you are. Now, I want to take that thought. I want us to go to Luke chapter 3, verse 7 through 9. We're going to just do a brief little study of this idea of sons of Abraham. We're going to see a theme involved in this. So we're going to go to several passages uh, this morning, a little bit different from our norm. Luke chapter 3, verse 7 through 9, is a story of John the Baptist preparing the way for Jesus coming. John is Baptizing people. You remember in Galatians 3 we were talking about being baptized, which by the way, next Sunday, uh, being Easter Sunday, we're going to have a baptism service. And I, I believe, 
I've heard that we've got somewhere around 10 uh, that will be baptized next Sunday. And we'll look forward and rejoice with that, with the Lord and what God is doing. And, uh, and if you have not been baptized um, by immersion after making Jesus your Savior and Lord, uh, this would be a great Sunday uh, to be a part of that and to obey uh, the teaching of Jesus in baptism. Uh, and so uh, if that's true for you, let us know and we'll talk with you and we'll see if we can get you arranged for this next Sunday uh, for the baptism that's, that's there. John is baptizing, all right, in Luke 3. And uh, he's doing it by immersion. He's in a river. And it was customary uh, uh, to say that you're going to go into Judaism. It was kind of a ritual that you would go through. So for Jesus, for John to be doing this to Jews, that's a little unusual. All right? A little unusual for him to be doing that. But here he is. He's doing that. And people are coming from all over. It's been hundreds of years since the people have received a prophet from God. And John seems to smack of being a prophet. I mean, he looks like a prophet. He talks like a prophet. And there's the power of God in his life like a prophet. So people are coming from everywhere to see John the Baptist and to hear what he's preaching. Even some of the religious Jews are coming out. And notice in verse 6, six he's he's quoting Isaiah saying that all flesh shall see the salvation of God. All right, Now that hits right in with what we're talking about in Galatians. But notice verse 7. He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? I didn't, I didn't learn preaching where John the Baptist learned preaching at, all right? Um, that, that's just, that's, you know, I, I, I got a hard time because I, I think I'd call us idiots or morons or losers or something like that. Nothing in comparison to John the Baptist. You brood of vipers, uh, and this is hearkening back to the Garden of Eden and the, and the serpent that tempted Eve, who warns you to flee from the wrath to come. Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able to make from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. What is he saying? He says, look, this concept of being uh, a seed of Abraham, a son of Abraham, you've used that and now you have false assurance because you believe because you're a Jew that you flow from Abraham, that God's given you the promises and you are right with God. You are part of his kingdom. You are saved. And if you're to die, that you will not receive condemnation, but instead you'll be in Abraham's bosom or you'll be where God's presence is. And so that was a confidence they had, and they took that and said, you know what, as long as we're circumcised, as long as we go through these, circum- uh, these rituals of uh, dietary laws, and we follow the external commands in our heart, we can be whomever we want, and it doesn't matter anymore. And so they come to John, and John calls them for what it is, and says, you don't understand that unless there's repentance in your life, you have no part of God. You have no part of Abraham. Now, I think it's an interesting phrase that he says here uh, in verse uh, 8. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Now, how's that going to happen? By miracle, all right? Uh, miracle, okay? Stones don't walk around, they don't talk, and they certainly don't become sons, all right? But God is saying, through John the Baptist, I can do whatever I want. And if I want to make a stone and turn to Abraham's son, I can do exactly that. So, let me just bring out this point. If sons can be made from stones, then there is no room 
for arrogance and pride. And that's the point he's getting at. You need to understand. If God can do this, then you coming in arrogant and self-confidence of, because of who you are and your works, it has no place in God's kingdom. Don't you know I can make a son out of a stone? So, uh, you know, have you ever had a job and, and you left that job and, and you were not replaced? No one, you know, the, the higher up said, you know, well, we just don't need your position anymore. That, that kind of robs you a little bit, doesn't it? Just kind of ruins it. Well, this is, I don't know, maybe a little worse. What if you left your job and your employer said, okay, we'll take care of your severance. And then get a stone and put it on your desk. <laughs> That's kind of a, you know, there's no room for arrogance or pride in that, is there? Um, if, if sons can be made from stones, then there is no room for arrogance and pride. There's something within us that says, you know what, we want to be measured for our worth because of who we are and what we do. Uh, that, that we're valuable because of what we do. I remember first time I, this lesson really hit me was on my first mission trip to El Salvador. And I thought, man, I, I had all the skills and abilities. And I think I shared this with you, but I was, I was ready to share the gospel. And then I was handing out some uh, gospel tracts and we were street preaching and uh, doing things I don't normally do. Uh, going on a street preaching like that. And, and I saw this guy, he was just reading uh, a, a gospel track and reading the plan of salvation. And I came up to him and said, do you understand what you're reading? He said, oh yeah, I understand it perfectly. I said, would you like to uh, make this decision that's talked about at the end of the pamphlet about following Christ? And he said, I, I did. I just did. I said, you did it? You didn't have anyone to help you? Yeah, I just read it and, and I understood it and I, I, I turned my heart to Christ. And, and a thought occurred to me, all I had to do was pass out a track. I mean, all this seminary learning and all these things and these witty statements I've got, they, God, you don't need them? No. No. I, I'm, I, he just wants to work through me. And I have to, all I have to do is be as, as dumb as a rock. Okay? But a rock that belongs to God. And God will use it. God will use it. There is no room for arrogance and pride. You know, sometimes that we, we go in a job and we think, you know what? I'm going to do such a good job. I'm going to be so missed. I mean, isn't that one of our goals? We want to be missed. We want to make such a difference that we're going to be missed. And, and we have these illusions in our head that when we leave our work, that things are just going to fall. Chances are, if you are working in a cubicle, they're probably not going to name a building after you. All right, pretty pretty good bet on that. But you know, if you put your hand in water, this, this is good measurement. This is how you'll know how long you'll be missed. You take your hand out, and as long as it takes for that water to fill up that hole, that's how long you'll be missed. All right, I'm I'm just bringing something. It doesn't matter if you splash around. All right, you take it out, and it's it's going to fill that void. Uh, be encouraged. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, here's the thing. Our value is not measured in what we do. It's to whom we belong to. It's to whom we belong. And so John is saying this. You need to understand, God can make sons out of stones. He can make sons of Abraham out of stones. So if, there's, if that's true, then there's no room for arrogance and pride. Isaiah 64, 6 says, We have all become like one who is unclean. All righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. 
we have as much permanence as one of these buildings that have been wiped away by the tornado. So, that means all these sermons that I'm preaching, if it flows out of my ego, flows out of myself, and not out of what God is speaking and doing, then it is just like wind, dust blowing in the wind, and it has no value. It is as a filthy rag. My righteousness, your righteousness, the things that we count on and hold on to, that, ooh, God's going to love me now. Because I do this, this, and this, and I don't do this, and this, and this. You need to understand, we don't bring anything spiritual to God. We don't bring anything spiritual to God. It's what God brings to us. It's not what we bring to Him. And so you attending this morning, you're not offering something to God that God says, Oh, I'm going to take note of that. Because He can make sons out of stones. Jesus kind of elaborates on this a little bit more in John chapter 8. Let's, let's go there. John chapter 8, verse 33. Which, by the way, it's going to be a great commentary to what we do in Galatians 4. John chapter 8, verse 33. Many of you have memorized 32. You will know the truth. The truth will set you free. Verse 33. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been a slave to anyone. You hear that pride, arrogance? How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my words find no place in you. I speak of what I've seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you'd be doing the works Abraham did. So he so far, he's acknowledged biologically they are of Abraham, but he's also saying of their heart, of their spirit, and that which matters. It doesn't matter who the biological father is. They're following someone else. So, verse 41, you're doing the works your father did. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God, and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand why I say it? It's because you cannot hear, bear to hear my word. Verse 44, you are of the father, your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. That's pretty strong. He goes on in, in verse 48 through 40, 59. He talks about how Abraham rejoiced to see him and they thought, well, you know, you're not even 50. How can that be? He says, I assure you before uh, when Abraham was, I am. And when he made that statement, it was very clear. Not only was he much older than 50, not only was he there when Abraham was living, he was the I am, which means he has always been. There has never been a time when he was not. 
And it was very clear at that moment that he was saying that he was God. So consequently, you see at the end, they would do what a good Jew would do, not believing this is God. And they took up stones and they were trying to stone him, trying to kill him because they understood his lesson. So what he's saying here is that, look, it's more than biological. It's of your heart. I just want to bring out some things here. If you are a son of Abraham, Jesus kind of describes what that person will do. If you're a part of the kingdom of God, if you are saved, then this, according to Jesus, is what you'll do. And John the Baptist said, you'll repent, you'll bear fruit of repentance. And then we find in John 8, 37, that he'll, you'll give place for Jesus' words. And verse 47, you're going to hear God's words. When you are part of God's kingdom, you long to hear God's words. You want to learn. You want to know there's a change that takes place in your heart. It is a sign of a change internally that drives your external, a thirsting for God's word. And then John 8, 39, you're going to do Abraham's works. And the point that Paul is making is that Abraham's works was to trust in God, was to believe in God. James comes along and says, yes, and you know that he did that because he offered up his son. And so is the worship, it was the lifestyle that flowed out of trusting in God. You're going to do what Abraham did. And in John 8.39, you're going to rejoice to see Jesus. And 8.42, you're going to love Jesus. These are all things that sons of Abraham's does when you see God doing a work in your life, then there's going to be signs that happen. A thirst for God, a love for Jesus, a life built on trusting in Him, a worship even of trust and sacrifice because you believe in who God is and you know that it's more important than what you see. And so you worship and you have repentance bearing fruits of repentance. Now, here's the positive. Oh, it's all positive. If, if sons can be made from stones, then there is no room for arrogance and pride. But also, if sons can be made from stones, then there is much room for salvation. There is much room for salvation. I think Luke 19 is a good illustration of this. Luke 19 verse 1 through 10 uh, is, is a powerful illustration because what's required for salvation If God can make sons out of stones, which is a miracle, right? If God can do that, then cannot God change your life? There is much room for salvation. Because again, all you have to be is as dumb as a rock to be saved. All you have to do is to be as worthless as a rock to be saved. There is much room. There is no hoop that you have to meet or to jump through. There's no requirement that you have to meet to be, to be acceptable to God other than to say, God, I need forgiveness of sin. I need you as a Savior. Luke 19, verse 1 through 10, is the story of Zacchaeus. He entered Jericho and was passing through, which, by the way, he was going to Jerusalem at this point. In the story of, of the year, it would have been just a little bit, a few days ago, uh, that this story would have taken place. And there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. 
And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small of stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and he came and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. It's going to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Now, I could try to explain to you the magnitude of the sins of this person in that day and time, but I think probably it's just enough for you to know that when everyone saw them, they, everyone likely uh, or unitedly hated this dude. Okay? Everybody agreed. We're maybe bad, but we're not as bad as Zacchaeus. Alright? He's a sinner. So much so that when Jesus embraces and talks to him, they grumble and complain at the goodness of God. So just put that in our terms. This establishment, this community, when we all look around and we say, well, who's the one that we don't like? Who, who would we call the worst of the sinners? All right. Um, that, that would be applicable to us. This is uh, the person who's anti-God in all things and totally selfish and could care less about what other people think. Um, and, and that's their lifestyle. Maybe he's rich. Maybe he's not. In this story, he is. Uh, but let it be known, everybody hates him because of his sin. So, Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. I think, well, that's not hard to do when you're filthy rich. You know, you give half away and you're still richer than everyone else. But then notice what he says. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. <laughs> you need to know that the tax collector typically got rich because he defrauded. I'm not sure what he could point to where there was income where there wasn't defraud at some point. So why did he save half? So he could pay four times the amount of that which he defrauded from anyone else. And Jesus said to him, notice what he says, Today salvation has come to this house. Since he also is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. There's something within us that says, you know what, God, I just can't pray to you because you know I'm messed up. And I can't pray to you. Well, it seems that's the gospel. Isn't the gospel coming to those of us who are messed up? And the problem is when we pretend that we're not. That's when there's the problem. But when we understand that we're messed up, that's whom the gospel is for. And so we say, you know what, God, I am all messed up. And I can think of ten zillion reasons why you shouldn't listen to me. But I need a Savior. I need a Savior. And God listens. Why? Because it's the gospel of grace. You know what's required to be saved? To be a son of Abraham? to know that you're a son of the devil. The problem with the Jews of John 8 is they were sons of the devil and thought they were sons of Abraham. But when they came to understand whom they were, they knew then that they could come to Jesus in need of a Savior. If sons can be made from stones, then there is much room for salvation. Now, let me just share with you one other passage here. Let's go to Luke chapter 19, verse 28 through 40. 
This is the key passage for this day, being Palm Sunday. Jesus had left Zacchaeus in Jericho. He's walked up a treacherous road from Jericho to Jerusalem. He's stayed with Bethany and Bethany and stayed with Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And you've got the crowds of people that are now thronging Lazarus because he's been raised from the dead. Guarantee uh, to cause some measure of celebrity. All right. Uh, and so they're all there. This is You've got the beautiful feast that's taken place. Uh, and so you've got... All of that recent history, and Jesus knows what's about to happen. He's been warning the disciples, been warning the apostles that it's going to happen. It's going to happen in Jerusalem. It's going to happen by the Pharisees. It's going to happen on the cross, and it's going to happen. And three days later, I'm rising again. He's told them all of this. Ever since Caesarea Philippi and the farther northern region, all the way down to Jerusalem, he's been making this march. And so, knowing what Ze- Zechariah 9.9 says, he, he sends out for a a donkey, because he's going to fulfill scripture. He's going to let everyone know the Messiah's coming and fulfillment to Zechariah 9.9. And so, when he had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied in which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? You shall say this, The Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he told them. And as they were untying the colt, his owner said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And he said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road, signifying his position, his royalty, as their worship of this one. And as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, So in front of him would have been just the magnificent view of the temple on the east side of Jerusalem, the eastern gate, the Kidron Valley in front of him. The tombs would have been alongside the Mount of Olives as well as leading up to the gates. And the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. Other Gospels tell us that there are questions in the air. Who is this one? Some were saying he's a prophet. Some saying he's the king. He's the Messiah. When I preached this in, in Matthew on study on that study, I shared with you this is, wasn't the triumphal entry. This was a prelude. This is a prelude. When Jesus comes and triumph in Jerusalem, there will be no questions. It will be very clear who this is coming. And so there's this buzz of uncertainty except among the disciples who have seen the many powerful things that Jesus has done and they know, as, as uh, Peter said in Caesarea Philippi, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And so they're giving him good praise, good worship. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Quoting Psalm 118, which would have been a typical psalm that they would quote coming into the Passover. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. You see, if sons can be made from stones, then all the room is for God's glory. If sons 
can be made out of stones, then all the rooms are for God's glory. Everything that is, is made for God in His glory. So much so that when Jesus is walking down, it is appointed for at this moment, at this time, in fulfillment of Scripture, that praise be given up to God. So that when someone says, quiet them, Jesus, is too much, is too loud, Jesus says, you can't quiet them. You can't. It's impossible because God has appointed it. And if they were to shut up, then the very stones would be giving praise to the glory of God. Nature itself will attest to whom God is. So when we sing, don't think too mighty because you're singing with great skill and you're on tune. Because you can be replaced by a stone. And if you are having a hard heart and rebellion against God and you say, I will not sing, I will not praise to God because I don't like God. I don't like who he is. I don't like what he's done. I don't sing to God because I think honestly that life is too important for myself. My warning to you is be careful or you will be replaced by a stone. Even now, the axe is at the root. Ready to cut down. Bear fruit worthy of repentance. To show that life is not of you and about you. And nor do you deserve anything because of who you are. But life is about the God who gives grace. Who can take a tornado and use it as he wills. And he can take even the power of the wind. The power of the judgment of God and sin. And harness it so that it even becomes for our good. Through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's not because of who you are. God can do this to a stone if he so wishes. And if God can take the miraculous power to change a stone into a son. How much more can he take you and all your past. All your baggage. All your your hangups, all your habits, all your uh, idols that you hold on to, God can take those and if He can change a stone into a son, then how much more can He take you and change you into a son, a daughter of the King? So if we go all the way back to Galatians 3.29, if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. And so the big question is, if you are Christ, it changes everything, doesn't it? The question is not who you are, but to whom you belong. The question is not what have you done, but what Christ has done. And that is the question that everything is counting on. So I want to ask you, do you belong to Christ? Do you have a love for Jesus? Anticipate His appearing like Abraham did? Do you have a heart for His Word? Do you long to hear His Word? Do you give place to it? Or does the Word of God find no place in your heart? The answer is not, well, boy, I better read the Bible. The answer is not, man, I better find some way to make fun reading this thing. The answer is not, man, I really need to love Jesus, then don't I? That's not the answer. It's just the, the symptom. It's not the solution. The solution goes back to the gospel of Christ. Do you belong to Him? And that means, God, I need a Savior. I believe it. I trust in it. It's not on my own, but it's in you. 
I make you my Lord, my Savior, and I thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ. I thank you that he died on the cross to pay for the penalty of my sins. Will you come into my heart and make me new? And you say it by faith, believing in God's grace. Let's pray.